In Session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Afternoon, welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Rulakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in 310-441-0555. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Again, our studio number 310 310- Four four one zero five five five. So today is September fifteenth, and tomorrow, September sixteenth, is the one-year anniversary of the killing of Maso Amini. And as a result, there are going to be protests and rallies all over the world to commemorate this and to continue our support for the people of Iran and to not forget and let her death be in vain. Here in Los Angeles, it will be at 1 p.m. beginning at downtown City Hall, 200 North Spring Street. So that's tomorrow, Saturday, September 16th at 1 p.m. And I encourage you to uh, go online, ask around, because there are uh, protests taking place all over the United States and all over the world. So there likely is one close to you, and I hope you will um, go Make your voice heard and support and do your part in in this process. Uh, And related to that, I might continue on a topic I've discussed before when we think of situations like this and what we can do, what we should do, or um, how to feel about what's going on. So in some ways, it feels like more than a year ago that this happened. In some ways, it feels like uh, it was less than a year, I think, because so much has shifted in a lot of people's mindsets, I could say for myself. Not that things had necessarily changed so much. They were bad in the way that they were in Iran, but um, as is often the case, an incident can serve as a match to ignite the anger and pain that already has been building up over years. And we saw that happen with Masa um, Amini last year and her killing similar to in some ways how the killing of George Floyd back in May of 2020 ignited uh, lots of discourse, but also um, protests and movement surrounding race in the United States. Um, We've seen something similar in that same vein where what was done to this young woman and her being killed has ignited a movement that is still moving. And... uh, as we look back on a year, I actually was hoping to have some guests and might have guests on soon who are more informed and can better speak on what's happened, what's been going on uh, in Iran in this last year. I know for many people, uh, there is so many feelings that come up with what's going on. One that can come up is this sense of um, hopelessness or wondering is is anything happening or is anything making a difference in what has been done and what we are doing um, I, I am following the news but not as closely as I'm sure some are but still seeing a different level of um, things like protests going on around the world but even from what I see in Iran now 
protests are just one form of social action that can be significant and have an impact, but there's much more that goes into a movement and a movement becoming a revolution. And often those things are much slower moving than we might think. And so I'm reminded of conversations that have started since uh, last year around this time of you know, being prepared for something that will take a long time, that although we feel so much emotion and so much, in that way, excitement about this possibility for change, it doesn't mean that change will happen quickly. It usually doesn't. And um, we might hear something like the revolution of 1979. And of course, that makes sense to present it in that way, because that's when uh, everything came to a head and things changed. But of course, the revolution didn't happen just in that even one year, let alone a single day or month to try to mark when it started. Things were building up for years, even decades at times, if we look at deeper cultural and societal issues that will affect that change. So I say that so we don't become lost in that hopelessness or thinking nothing is going to change or can change. I, I don't know for sure if it will change. No one can give a guarantee about that. But to not be discouraged that because it's been one year, it means that nothing will ever change or things will just stay the same. And a, a theme related to this that I've talked about before that I'll bring up again today is when we look at our own role in what is going on in the world just as a a world citizen, human citizen, and then different identities you might have within that as a Iranian or as a, let's say, you know, your profession, whatever it is, you have different identities that might make you care about certain issues, but also as a human being, you will hopefully care about the suffering of people around the world, even if you don't specifically identify with them outside of being human. But when we look at our own role, what should I do? Um, what's worth doing? What should my mindset be? Something I've uh, been trying to keep in mind myself and also sharing here is that we want to focus more on our individual responsibility rather than being preoccupied with results. So what do I mean by that? Of course, when we are trying to make a change, if we think there's some injustice, we obviously want to see change. That's the, the purpose of what we're doing. Something seems unfair. We want it to become fair means a change has to happen for that to take place. So, of course, we care about the results. That's the whole thing that's motivating us, but or initially motivates us or gets us going and to do something about an issue. However, if we get focused on results to maintain our motivation, we very likely will lose steam and, and give up. And that's what we do see happen time and time again. Uh, even in personal issues, but let's keep it on this type of trying to bring about social change. Because usually when people start to protest, start to um, raise their voices, take certain actions, even with all that, we generally don't see anything tangibly change in the short term. Most, you know, people, that's often the, the reaction people have. Okay, people march on the streets, who cares? And usually people march on the streets and it's not that something happens the next day. Okay, they marched and tomorrow something happens. Usually that's not going to happen. We are just doing something that is a part of a bigger picture, bigger project that will take time and it's hard to measure it in 
progress of, okay, we did this and this happened the next day. So if we get focused and fixated on the results, well, what difference did it make? Because I, I do hear that a lot. Well, I posted things, I went to protests and nothing's changed. And the truth is, there's no guarantee that you doing those things was going to lead to change, but also there's no guarantee that it'll ever happen or that it'll happen in a certain amount of time. This is why I think rather than focusing on the results, do I see something changing immediately? Focus more on your responsibility. What is it that I can do and I feel I'm responsible to do to help in this situation without guarantee of any result or any uh, knowing that it's going to make an actual difference. Of course, in some ways we want to have feedback and focus on what we're doing. Sometimes we do something that hurts or we realize something is more helpful than other things. So it's not that we are blind to results or don't look at any feedback, but overall to focus more on what am I doing and what do I think is my responsibility? Or if I go forward six months or one year, what will I feel like would it make me feel good about what I do? Or if I don't do it, I'll have regret that I could have done more. I should have done more to help just to see whatever it is that I could have done. It's not the same thing, but I'm imagining you have a, a child with an illness and we don't know if giving this child different treatments, medicines, surgeries is going to save them or help them. But of course, we're going to do everything we can because we feel that's the responsibility in that moment to take care of that child with no guarantee of what's going to happen, but knowing that we will regret if we didn't try everything to help that child. So similarly, we hear people are suffering and in a large scale kind of a way, what is our responsibility? What should I do and how can I help? And know that each thing that you do likely won't do anything in the sense that it won't be tangible what you're doing but all of us doing something together can have a result you know even if we think tomorrow i hope millions of people are on the street tomorrow across the world and so if we think of that it's each individual that's millions of people and then each one of those people taking so many steps to make that happen literal steps while they're protesting but changing around their whatever they need to do to make sure they get there millions and millions of things will happen to make the protests tomorrow happen, millions of actions by individuals. And yet with all that, we don't know what the tangible result will be. Hopefully it'll be a reignition and remotivation. hopefully has a positive impact in some ways that might even be seen down the line, but some that might be seen in the short term, we don't know. But at the end of the day, I hope all of you listening, as I feel myself, a responsibility to go tomorrow, to make your voice heard, to do your part. You know, sometimes people think, well, if you go or don't go tomorrow, what difference does it make? And really nothing. If I don't go tomorrow, and let's say there's 20,000 people there, if there's 20,001 people there, it really doesn't make a tangible difference. But if we each think in that way, then nothing gets done. But if all of us think in the other way, what's my responsibility, then we'll have the most people out there, the most people doing what they can to help. And so uh, I hope we will all do that. I've, I reflect on my own you know, responsibility even throughout this year. I definitely could have done more, and it's something I will continue to reflect on to see what I can do and continue to do, and I hope we all will reflect in that way, not to shame ourselves or blame ourselves, but to use that regret and even that recognition to motivate us to do more, to do better. And so I hope you will go tomorrow and look first to see where you can go closest to you. Uh, and of course, these protests are not the only way you can help. 
Um, on Monday, I'll have someone on my show uh, who's figured out some other way through art and um, creating a product to sell to raise money for individuals that can be helpful. So we all can find different ways to help that might even sometimes be unique to us. But I hope everyone will focus on that and focus on helping others. I think it's our uh, responsibility, but also to live a meaningful life. One of the things that can make life meaningful is helping others and having a life that focuses on that. And that's something that we all can benefit from. But of course, it's the ultimate win-win because uh, we help others through the process of that. So if you're in L.A., I hope to see you tomorrow at 1 p.m. at City Hall in downtown. And also, wherever you are, hope to see you and share your stories and posts of where you are and all the people that are out there marching with you as we continue to support our sisters and brothers in Iran. I hope to see you tomorrow. All right, let's go to our first commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Studio number 310-441-0555. Let's go to a caller. Okay. Let's go to a caller now. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Uh, hello, doctor. Hi. Is my voice clear? Yes, I can hear you quite clearly. Yes. Thanks for calling. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, uh, I wanted to discuss about two issues uh, which is affect- which are affecting my life, and I'm totally miserable about it. Uh, first one is about my anxiety and stress issue, mm-hmm. and um, so I had this problem for a long time, and my mom also has it, and um, it's like just running in the family and. Um, and it has become a big issue for me recently, especially at work, when I'm under pressure and I have a deadline to meet. And uh, it affects also my personal life when I have a very busy and uh, very stressful job situation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. And let me know, how, how old are you? Uh, this September, I will be 31. 31, okay. Um, and as you said... You know, in your family, your your mom also has anxiety. You said it runs in your family really in a way. It, it's like pacing through families. They have anxiety. They maybe can't sit still. Uh, but it's very much something like any emotional, mental uh, factor we talk about. There's going to be a genetic component. Even in some ways, we could think of part of anxiety. It's that how much do we think that things can go wrong and how bad do we think they are? And so people who have anxiety, unfortunately, or more anxiety, everyone has some, they're more likely to think things that can go wrong. They're more likely to think of the different ways things can go wrong, and they can have more of a a reaction to how bad it's going to be or thinking how bad it's going to be. And so a lot of that is automatically how the brain is going to respond. You tell them about a scenario, and for some people, some things come up, and for some people, other things come up. And, and a lot of that is not something you can fully control. Now, this doesn't mean we can't um, deal with our anxiety or focus on anxiety to to come up with ways to deal with it. But nonetheless, you were saying for you, you feel like it's really hurting you and affecting your life. Yes, and actually I'm aware of it. Like at the, when I'm in the stressful uh, situation, I know that it is not as worse as I think, and I know that I'm just exaggerating, mm-hmm. but I cannot help myself. Like, 
I know what is it. And how, if the worst case uh, consequences, I know what are those. Mm-hmm. But still, my heart beats so fast. Um, it's possible that I cannot eat properly, and especially at work. I made skip lunch and my breaks during work, and uh, I know that I should take them, but a very strong power just stops me from uh, living normally in those situations. Yeah, it's, you know, you mentioned that this is the, you know, awareness is very important, but it doesn't mean it takes the problem or the feeling away. Because, you know, the way our feelings work is they have to feel real. We literally feel we're saying we feel it, right? So that's how they work, even if we realize, okay, I tend to worry more, even though things are okay, or the situation is not dangerous, even if it feels scary for me, it doesn't necessarily take away that feeling, that physiological and then part of our emotional experience, which can make it feel, you know, even said, I can't do anything about it or use that word can't, which I can understand because it's been such a powerful force in your life. But one thing you'll you know, we'll, we'll talk about, and it's going to be easier said than done, is realizing you haven't done something. It doesn't mean you can't do it. It's it's hard for you, and it's going to be hard for you. And that's also um, some of the, the good news and bad news about things like anxiety is that we can get help and help ourselves to be better about it. The bad news is the only way is to face those things that makes us anxious or to do things a bit differently and tolerate the anxiety that comes up when we do things differently, even though everything is telling you this is wrong, don't do it this way, do it the other way, um, you'll have to go away from those. And I'm sure you've done that at some level or tried that, but really that is the only way we can get better at dealing with our anxieties, feeling that, okay, I'm going to face that discomfort, not do the comfortable thing and and live with and sit with that anxiety. That's, that's the really hard part. Now, if you're uh, approaching 31 and you seem very aware of your anxiety. I would assume you've tried lots of things to to deal with or cope with your anxiety. So what have you tried to deal with your anxiety? So I can start from my high school. At that time, I was taking uh, some medis- medication from mm-hmm. uh, psych- uh, psychiatrist that I met before. Then when I uh, entered university, I stopped it because I was in another city and the connection was uh, like... And then um, I, I saw some psychologists, some t- skills like breathing skills and uh, um, estimating the real situation, something like this. Mm-hmm. But mm, I have never like checked professionally for a long time uh, okay. for this specific problem. Okay. So... Um and the medication, John, do you remember if it was like an antidepressant? Um, I think, yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that's something, you know, just I'll mention, you know, people think if I have anxiety, um, understandably, we would think, okay, and anxiety, take an anti-anxiety medication because it's the medication that is going to take away that thing that you feel is a problem. Um, but generally for long-term use, one of the more common classes of medication is antidepressants. So don't be surprised if you have anxiety and you do meet with a psychiatrist and you have anxiety and they give you an antidepressant when you don't feel you have depression. Uh, The anti-anxiety medications, things like Xanax, they 
act very quickly, but in that way, they we could say they also act too quickly in the sense that it can make them much more susceptible to addiction and to get hooked on that quick feeling that it takes away the anxiety so fast, whereas um, an antidepressant is going to take its effects over weeks and then months. So it's not something that gives you immediate effect. So that's the good and the bad. The bad is you feel like I take this medication. It doesn't change how I'm feeling very quickly. But the good is that it's not going to be habit forming in that same way. And if it does take an effect, it's more longer lasting. Um, but it's interesting that you mention you haven't, you know, in one hand, you're saying it's, I forgot the exact wording you said, but really affecting your life negatively, maybe even said something like ruining your life, but that you also have not um, gotten any professional help for several years. So, you know, this is also the hard thing is that somebody's even getting help. You might feel anxious about doing that part of it, but it does seem like you're saying it's really hurting you, but you haven't gotten any professional help for several years now. Uh, why do you think that might be? Um, yeah, I think I have my own uh, theory, I can say, because up to now, I was like, I had, I had a lot of challenges in my life, and I was seeing a psychologist for other problems. So I can say that I have a stable life now, and right now I'm thinking about my well-being more. Okay. Uh, yeah, I can say that, um, that right now I thought, okay, this is the right time to start thinking about myself. But mm -hmm. before that, I was like, um, I was, I was just working and trying to have a better life, and then I moved uh, like some other country, and I was, I was then again struggling, but. For the last um, for the last year, I, I thought that okay, it's time to think about myself more. And uh, since I also like reached thirty, I thought it's it's it is going to be too late if I wait more than this. Mm -hmm. um, if I may ask, what were those other issues that you uh, you said you were dealing with before? Uh, yes, sure. So it was um, about my balance, work ba like my activity balance life so um i actually called you last year about okay. my activities that i wanted to have a balance between my uh married life and single life um and you helped me a lot actually right now it's much better and my husband we have so much uh like both of us have our together activities and individual activities and uh, it became much better than last year like okay. one of them was this that and the other one was like uh, my, um, uh, yeah, my social life. It wasn't so good. I didn't know how to reach people, communicate easily, find friends in a new environment. Mm -hmm. But right now it's better. And other than that was like typical uh, financial, uh, steady work, studies, this stuff. Okay. Uh, yeah, and of course those seem to have anxiety elements to them too the, the finding the balance maybe a, a bit less but you know even the you said finding friends and new environments those things of course can be very related to anxiety and so um, anxiety is not something that just usually shows up it's probably been there for all of your life as you're saying even back the first time you were getting some kind of treatment was in high school so y what you shared right now is especially at work you feel like your anxiety is impacting you is that the main place or do you feel like you you it's affecting other areas as well yes yes it is affecting other areas like i actually even uh decided to change my job 
because I see that um, I compare my job to other people around me and I see that I don't have a normal job. It is uh, it is too much work and uh, too much stress. Uh, yeah. Mm. You changed your job because it was too much stress? No, no, I haven't changed. I oh. Actually, I just started my job. I uh, This is like now more than a year, but uh, less than two years that I'm there. But uh, I already feel that um, it puts a lot of pressure on me because of the amount of work that is that I'm responsible for. And... Um, it seems that it's not a normal job, at least when I compare to others. Hmm. And what kind of work do you do? Um, my background is chemical engineering, and it's a oil refinery company, which I'm in the uh, um, chemical engineering team and doing the thing that I have specialized in. Okay. But uh, the thing is that, uh, sorry. That's okay. For, interrupting you. Um, so I, I wanted a change in my career path um to so that I have more opportunities in future to get a job so uh, part of my job is totally new to me mm. I have no experience and that makes it more difficult okay now when you're saying the work you know the job is the way you described it was like very very difficult do you see like what you're doing are you having more to do than other people in your job or anything like that or no I can say, yeah, the more people get experience, the more responsibilities they have, and they work more. Uh, yeah, and I, I don't see my future like this. I cannot, I, I think that this is, my, this is not my future, and that makes me more stressed that I have to get out of that company soon. Hmm. Okay. Uh, have you talked to supervisors or managers about your workload or how it's impacting you? Um, Yes, and I haven't directly said that I am I'm so I'm under so much stress. Uh, but since I have decided to get out of there, I don't discuss it so seriously. My, my manager is a very good person; like he's a very good human being, and uh, the overall uh, communication is okay. But uh, I'm not totally satisfied with my situation there and uh, my salary also. Since this is the first job that I got after university here, so I thought that it's better to change it other than talking. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I would always encourage you to to talk first before you change it to see if there's something um, that can be done. Also, to face usually people avoid those kind of conversations because they make us feel uncomfortable or afraid of you know the person's reaction of losing the job, although you're saying you might want to change it or you're trying to change it anyway. Um, but what do you think um, has kept you from having that conversation with them? I have to mention also the second thing, which I, I think it is related, and it was my second issue, actually. Maybe it, it connects these somehow. Uh, so I, I'm a kind of person I want to have, I want to do at the same time everything. So I cannot give up one thing. Mm -hmm. But when I have one of those things that I want, I keep it for a while, and then I just, like, I want to change it if I see something is not good. And I make the, like, I think that uh, the try and effort that I'm putting on is not, uh, the, the work is not worthy of it. Mm. And it has happened for me now. Like, I was in the, at the university, I was studying doctoral studies, 
Then I, uh, in my third year, I applied for a job as a summer trainee. I got there. Then um, I had this chance to uh, choose one of these. I mean, I wanted to work, but I also wanted to keep my study right. Mm -hmm. So I kept this both. I was working part-time both ways, and uh, but I wanted to like get rid of university job. I was like having issues there, and uh, I mean, again, some pressure, but not as much as here. I just wanted to uh, a better situation from work side. And right now, it is happening again. That I am not okay with it, but I won't want to but I want to make a change, mm-hmm. and I'm avoiding these conversations because I know that um, it's difficult for me. Like, this is my pattern for change, change in mm-hmm. my life mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, the way you, you even brought it up, you know, you've probably heard of hoarding before where people don't throw things away and they, uh, you know, they keep things sometimes just to the point where their houses can become really even unsanitary and unsafe because they keep things or keep certain types of things um, for way too long. And that's definitely related to this anxiety, this almost this fear of throwing something away that you might need. And, and the way you were talking, it gave me that same sense of at times you feel like you hold on to things, you're almost afraid to let them go because maybe you know, you'll need them or you won't find something better, but then you almost take on too much or you don't let go of things as soon as you probably would benefit you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So there's this, you know, it's coming from the, yeah, an anxious mindset also, uh, you know, sometimes we talk about a scarcity mindset, scarcity versus abundance. So scarcity is, you know, if I lose lose this, I might not ever find anything like this again. So I have to hold this no matter what. Whereas in abundance, we, we feel comfortable that I will, if I let go of this, there will be something else um, there for me, or I can find something else to be okay. So yeah, it seems like you might be holding on to too much. And then, of course, you could feel overwhelmed. Uh, also, another note, you know, we use these words stress and anxiety interchangeably, and they are relevant and related to each other. But we could think of stress as when there's just too much um, on a system, whatever that system is. But if we're talking about a person, there's too much that they have to do or deal with. So let's say they have to do 14 hours of work, but only have eight hours to do it in, you're going to feel stressed because there's just too much to do in that time. Or if you have too much, you know, uh, different responsibilities. Anxiety is when we're, we could be worried about something. Sometimes it's more specific, which is really like a worry or just a general sense that something bad can happen or is going to happen. And so I say they're related because of course, if you're feeling very stressed, you're more likely to be anxious about other things or related things as well. So they're not completely disconnected. So we're at a commercial break, but I want us to continue the the conversation to get a bit more into how does that anxiety play play out and also about making decisions because you mentioned that as well and, and seeing if we can get to some clarity about some things that might help you in those issues, okay? All right. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we're with the caller. Let's go back to them now. Radio Hamra, are you still Hello. there? Yes. Okay. So um, by the end of the you know last segment, we were talking about what you were going through. You mentioned both stress and anxiety. I, I gave a bit of a differentiation between those two. You also mentioned this sense of holding on to things... Um, longer than you likely should or holding on to too many things that you have to do 
So it's almost like a, a mental hoarding or hoarding of actions or activities rather than of physical objects. Um, and, and also this is relevant to decision making that you likely are doubting your decision to let go of, of something or to, to make a change. So during the break or related to these things, what anything on your mind or that's come up for you that you wanted to add to this discussion? Uh, yes, actually, about uh, another reason that I don't have these discussions, for example, for, with my manager. Um, so, when, when, okay, he's a very nice person, and he always, like, uh, supports me. And, uh, for example, if I have a one, kind of one-to-one -one discussion with him, before that, I would say, like, the day before, I would say, okay, I'm going to tell this to him, and... Uh, I'm angry about and this, but when I talk to him, and um, he like he's so nice, I just like I just don't uh, complain uh, like mm -hmm. enough. I can say, I just say yeah, it's okay. I have this problem, but it's okay. Like I cannot be so direct about it. Okay. And how do you um, how do you feel like you are with conflict in general? Let's say even with your husband or bringing up things that you don't like. Um, he's the only person that I, I get along very well with, mm -hmm. and I can openly discuss with him. I mean, he's the only person, I can say. And maybe, yeah, I can say he's the only person that I'm totally open. Mm -hmm. But with others, no, no. I mean, I try not to uh, discuss openly and say my opinion directly. I, it's, even I see someone who is like this, I'm, I'm surprised, actually. Mm. I mean... Yeah, and I I always feel that my friendship can um, this can affect my friendship. For example, if I say uh, my opinion freely, anyone, any way I want, or even like if it's not so serious. Yes. Yeah, I mean, and and again, you have some awareness of these things because when people avoid uh, conflict, it's for many types of reasons. But a major one is this fear that. The relationship comes to an end, or as you said, it would yet yeah, threaten the friendship. And so, when you mentioned your husband's the only one that you are uh, open about things you don't like, I was going to say lucky him, and and it's half joke, half serious. Of course, you know, there's kind of a joke of oh, he's lucky he gets to hear if you're upset or complain, but actually, that is lucky because he's the one that gets to know you the best and have the most genuine relationship with you, where you are actually open and sharing what you like but also importantly what you don't like or what's bothering you and that's actually how we create good strong and emotionally intimate relationships we have to be open but that's a very scary thing for you unless i'm guessing with your husband you feel like such a strong foundation or base or almost the sense like he's not going anywhere uh, in, a, in good and bad ways so it, it's more comfortable do you feel like with your husband you Sometimes when we don't share with others these things that bother us, we can take it out on the one person or the few people we do. Do you feel like you find yourself doing that, or does he notice that, that you might get even more upset or angry with him if you don't like something because of possibly holding it in with others? Yes, it happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he tells me, actually, he tells me, don't, uh, not, don't do this to me because of some other thing that you are like upset about yeah it's I, very yeah, yeah. it's a very common um you know thing this type of you know, sometimes we call it displacement but it's just this you know taking a feeling from one place and putting it onto someone else and it's often that safe space where i've worked with 
families where you know a child will get angry with really one of the parents and of course that parent doesn't feel good but when we take a closer look at the family we see that the reason why they're expressing anger towards this parent is actually they feel more safe with them in a good way they're scared of the other parents actually get angry at them so uh, it's it's uh, obviously doesn't feel good to always get that anger and that extra anger that might not even be related to you but it's evidence of that comfort and the strength of that relationship so that part of it is good that you feel that way with him but he's right that um, it's not fair to him and actually at that level it'll hurt the relationship because you're taking out it's not feelings that are about him and the relationship it's about other people other situations that you're holding in um, and often this is what happens when something gets triggered that's similar to something we haven't expressed now we find a space to to let it out or it comes out more strongly. So if five people did something we didn't like and we didn't say anything, the sixth person might get the anger from that first five interactions that we we held on to. So um, this is going to be another one of those things, as I was saying with anxiety, and really it's with any of us when we're trying to get out of our comfort zone, we have to do things that don't feel good. But conflict is going to be another area that I would encourage you to, to focus on, um, focusing on facing it and embracing it more and that this fear of conflict is really costing you as it does to anyone it costs you a lot because uh, it seems like my you know because i've been there myself too and seen so many people you know something is bothering you about work and you're sitting like this is so unfair this is not right look at this this is not right this is not right then when it comes time to tell the person who is the right person to tell about this unfairness you know, you, you feel too afraid to, or maybe you convince yourself, oh, it's not that big of a deal, or I can take it, or whatever it is we do to rationalize ourselves away from having that uncomfortable conversation. But then you just, you know, now you're holding on to it again and, and still in the same situation. And what we also do is we could communicate to the other person that we're okay with how things are. So if you have a meeting with your supervisor or your manager and they ask you, how everything's going you say everything's fine well we're communicating that everything's okay so if they're giving us too much work they don't think it's too much work because we're telling them this is fine i'm okay with this and often what people who are afraid of conflict will do is they get into a relationship whether it's work or personal and they get afraid to bring up the conflict to um, share what's bothering them and now one they might blow up if they they hold it in too long and can't hold it in anymore or two, they end the relationship. So they, they go work somewhere else or they slowly go away from the friendship or the dating relationship. And that's why I would encourage you to go more into these um, situations that you're afraid will be a conflict because you're going to need to um, face these situations more to see they're not as scary as you think and that they're holding you back from really having a life you want or the job that you want in really significant ways. Okay, so can I think that the, my uh, like my preference to change a job soon is is because I cannot talk to people easily because um, right now I just think that okay uh, I'm, I'm I want to change my job so um, I don't care what's happening yeah and, um, and sometimes I think that may, then maybe the next job is going to be like this so I just brings my hope down and mm -hmm. I only say to myself that if the salary is good it doesn't matter if the situation is like this at least I can talk there but it is worth it but it seems that I'm just making excuse 
Yeah, it might be. You know, I don't know if the job you're at is the right one or not. But what I'd want is for you to give it the best chance to see if it is before you go on, you know, which it's just like, let's say people are dating and, okay, I'm dating someone and they keep doing something I don't like or they do it in a way I don't like, but I haven't told them. And then some people might just end the relationship because they're too afraid to have that conversation and just hope the next person doesn't do that or does things differently rather than telling the person, hey, you know, there's something that you're doing that I don't like. I wanted to talk to you about it. And then giving that person a chance and the relationship the chance to see what it is how good it can be so the same thing with your work where i don't know maybe it really is just the wrong job but especially because this is a pattern that you you have of having a hard time with conflict avoiding these kinds of conversations it even more makes me want to encourage you to have those talks with your boss for many reasons one is just it's going to be good for you on a personal level it's going to be uncomfortable but that's what's going to make it good so i'd want you to to face that discomfort and to see this as an ongoing issue that conflict and avoiding conflict is something that's causing lots of harm in your life um i think you're just probably so used to it as people are and people who tend to be people pleasers and anxiety can be tied into that can can feel that way and they will live a lot of their life that way so one it'll be good at that level then also work-wise maybe they'll make changes in a way that then makes this job that you're already at which if it's good over in other ways it's obviously easier to stay at a job than to leave it and try to start something new see if this can become something good maybe things will be better at this job that would be great or if it turns out no they're going to keep doing things that way or the things you want to see different they won't change then you'll walk away from this job with much more peace of mind knowing that this is not the right fit for me because i tried to tell them things that were not okay and it was not working for me and they don't want to change them but you walk away with much more peace of mind than not knowing if it could have been right and then you yeah the same thing can happen you know essentially what happens is we live our life in a way of i hope no one does something I don't like, because if they don't, then I have to either tolerate it in pain or walk away, where there's a huge third option, which is the right option almost all the time, which is bring it up and talk about it and see if that issue can be resolved. If it can, good. If it can't, then we walk away with peace of mind. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I hope you will. You know, all these things I'm saying, as is usually the case, it's much easier said than done. You know, the, the feeling people have, uh, even recently, um, and I think people, other people have said this too, I, I was talking about conflict phobia, you know, it sounds very extreme, but really we can feel so scared of conflict that we avoid it at any cost and we are terrified of the outcome. Even though I know as you're talking to me, let's say the worst, worst, worst is they do fire you for bringing one thing up, which probably wouldn't happen, um, but even then you would be okay. But in that moment, it feels so overpowering that it seems like the only thing you can say is, yes, everything's fine, and just hope to get out of there as soon as possible. So I really encourage you to, to to look at this as a its own issue, even just fear of conflict, dealing with conflict, and it's related to these other uh, things, even you know decisions. If we're not sure about how we even feel or if we should say something, then it's even scarier to say something, you know? Um, and so we might even avoid it even more. I've been talking a lot, so I'm just curious, what, what have you been thinking about or what comes to your mind with what I've been discussing? Um, I think I have to actually, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. I should talk more and op be open. I, 
for a long time I haven't been like this. Like I avoid people at work. Mm-hmm. I prefer to work in a room that no one is there. I don't see them. And because I, in, back in my mind, I, I say to myself that I'm not going to be here. So why well, I should talk to people mm. and um, bring something up. And uh, I just don't want to get like emotionally involved. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've quit in your mind but haven't, you know, actually executed it yet. So you're kind of feeling like a visitor there. You know, I'm just visiting, so I don't want to establish my roots too much here. Um, But I don't, and as I said, I don't know if that's the case. Can you see any way that this this job could work for you if you talk with, you know, managers, supervisors, and share with them things that um, are difficult for you? Can you, do you like aspects of this job or do you just see it as the wrong job for you? I feel it's the wrong job for me, but okay. I don't want to quit for the wrong reason. Yeah, that's I, I I think that you said it really perfectly there. That's that's the thing is that it could be the wrong one. Just like I said with dating, people like, you know, the person says things in a way that I don't like. Talk to them and they say, oh, this is who I am and how I want to talk. Okay, we're not right for each other. We walk away for the right reason rather than we don't know. Maybe they didn't even realize we were being upset by that or they they even are trying to work on that or whatever it might be. Same thing with this job. I don't know. It's going to be impossible for me to know based on the limited information if it's the right place for you. But I'd much rather you go in there and can clearly express all the things that are not working for you to see if it does work, if it does, great. Um, If not, as I said, either way, it'll be a great exercise of you expressing yourself, facing this kind of conflict feeling. And then if you know it's not the right job, then you walk away with that peace of mind. Okay, that wasn't the right fit for me. I can walk away knowing uh, and also knowing what are the things that don't work for me or the things to be aware of in the next job and even being more forthright next time. You know, because often what we do is we boundaries get set and they're they're harder to change once they're set, you know. So if they expect you to do 14 hours of work every day and all of a sudden now you say you want to do less, that's harder than at the beginning letting them know, hey, you know, this is too much on my plate. I can't get it done at a level that's going to keep me performing at a high level and, you know, have my work-life balance and all that stuff. So, yeah, I really hope you'll go, and I know it's hard, and I hope you'll also consider, I, I'm, I'm a strong proponent of therapy as something we continue for years to look at different things, and the way you started the, the call, saying it's effectively ruining your life or really having a negative impact, I hope you would go back to something more ongoing. I'm, I hope you call again and we can have a conversation, but really the more weekly regular type of meetings is something that I think you would benefit from to really face these issues because you and I talking about them and you're clearly very intelligent and psychologically minded that you understand these things very well but the making changes part is really really difficult even if we can understand what's happening to us or what we're doing yes yes thanks sure uh can Ask one more thing if it is okay. Sure. Is it a, is it a very separate topic? Uh, it's about my tendency to keep things. I just wanna ask: yeah. Is there let's, like a well-known reason for this? Um. Well, uh, you're saying holding on to things like physical objects. No, only like uh, like I can say mostly activities. Oh, okay. Like, well, that's yeah. It's, I mean, I, to me, it seems related to, you know these themes you're saying we can see these threads that go through all of them there's the anxiety what if things go wrong and if they do it's really bad uh, and related to that the indecision so you don't trust yourself in your decision to say okay this is time to let 
uh, let go of that. Um, and so, yeah, you can make it where then, you know, sometimes people do too many things and they do all of them not that well because they're holding on to too many of them rather than doing two or three things really well, you know? So uh, I get the sense it's very much related to these other anxiety type issues that kind of like, yeah, hoarding, but about time and activities. What do you feel like right now you're hoarding? Is it all the stuff at work or you mean other things as well? Mm, no, actually, like for my personal life, for my hobbies, I have I used to have a lot. Like I would go to different dancing classes, different exercises, I know, some voluntary activities, but now I have reduced them a lot. Okay. Uh, but also the work. Like right now, um, I'm also keeping my, like, I want to also graduate from university, so, I mean, I want to do that, but in the past, I was keeping both, mm-hmm. working on both of them, it was real difficult, and yeah. it happens, like, for different things. Well, it does seem like you feel you found more balance, like you're not doing um, as much, but there's a sense, even how you described it, it could just be that we're, you know, talking about them in this kind of a conversation, but like almost like a a panic or, you know, like saying it, I have to do almost like, yeah, I did feel like this, I have to do everything kind of a, a feeling. And so I also wonder how do you, one, maybe like this feeling of, okay, if I don't do enough or I have to, you know, okay, hobbies are good, so I have to do them 100%, like a perfectionism, you know, flavor was there. Um, also the sense of what is it like just to sit still and do nothing? You know, sometimes we keep ourselves busy, not just because we want activity, but we don't want inactivity or that fear of, what do we feel when we're not doing anything? So um, I don't know if that's relevant to what you're feeling also. Yeah, it is, I think. Because right now that I have less activities, I think about my like situation, about my uh, feelings and how I feel. And this, this stress came also out when I reduced a lot and spent more hmm. time, I can say, at home. Well, these are, you know... This is why when I'm giving advice, I try to be mindful that it's not like one thing is good for everyone because it depends on what you're doing. If you're not drinking enough water, you need to drink more water. But if you're drinking too much water, more water won't be good for you. So maybe even less will be good. And so it's not good for us to dwell on our feelings too much and just ruminate over, let's say, one worry over and over again. We think we're doing something productive, but we're not. But we also don't want to avoid our feelings. So for example, the way you feel about work, I wouldn't want you just to ruminate on it, but I wouldn't want you to avoid it and to actually use that feeling as fuel that, okay, if I'm not happy and I don't want to deny that I'm not feeling good, I have to do something about it, you know? So in that way, sometimes staying in touch with those even bad feelings can be good because the reason why we have feelings is to tell us, okay, something's not quite right or something doesn't feel right. And so because that, we take some action. So, um, yeah, I hope you will pay attention to that feeling you have about work and that that will motivate you to take the next action, which to me is to have the conversations with your employers and and managers about how you're feeling. And, and also, even with that, I'll say, you know, you've been holding on to it for a long time. Sometimes then if we lay that all out at once, like, you know, I'm upset about this, 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 this all those things all at once. It can kind of be a lot. And the person's like, whoa, I didn't even know any of this. So it's not to say don't bring them up, but being aware of how you share them because they didn't know you were upset so that's something to be mindful of but i don't want you to to stop feeling bad about it or to stop yourself from feeling or connecting to that feeling bad because that's telling you something about how 
you feel at work and there's something you can do about it. And because what you have to do makes you uncomfortable, you might prefer avoiding it or distracting yourself. But um, those those feelings are telling us something and that something is that you have to do something, which is the hard part, but that's the, the necessary next step. Yes. Thanks a lot. Sure. Thanks, thanks for calling. Best of luck to you. Take care. Thanks. All right. Let's go to another commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Studio number 310-441-0555. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for calling. Um, I wanted to... Uh, I actually don't even know where to start. I wanted to see if you have any you know, general questions about you know, who I am and what I'm doing, and then maybe we can get into the, some of the details that are bothering me. Okay, sure. It seems like... Maybe you're having a hard, uh, having a hard time knowing where to start, which can be the case sometimes when people even th- start therapy, they can have that same feeling of I don't know where to start. So yeah, we can just start with um, how old are you and where you are in your life at this point, and we'll go from there. Yeah, I'm uh, 38. Um, I um, am married. Mm-hmm. I have a seven-year-old, and um, I got my master's a few years ago. Currently, I'm working at a pharma company and um, I want to say that this year hasn't been the best year of my life. I have had a um, a tough year starting in March. I was laid off. Then in May I had a miscarriage and Mm. it's kind of tough finding a job at this point. I don't know what I'm doing wrong but I, I feel like I need to work on how I feel about myself and then that would maybe solve some of the elements of the not finding the job and the feeling that I get from it. So, um, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, so as you said, this last year, especially since March, has not been easy losing your job then. And um, you had a miscarriage, I think you said that was in May. And miscarriages often are, even individuals themselves, but especially surrounding people. Well, one, sometimes people don't know because people might not share about the pregnancy up until a certain point. Um, and miscarriages are uh, very common, but it can be very difficult for uh, women and the families going through it M- more than I think at times is given attention to because sometimes people will, I mean, we have a tendency to downplay when people are in pain in a variety of ways. And so I, I hear this a lot with miscarriages that, well, the baby was not there yet, or they can have a baby that, you know, there's things that people say, or you already have a child. There's lots of ways that it's downplayed, but it can take a very significant toll, um, particularly on the mother. So uh, that happened in May, and it seems like you're saying it's been hard to find a job in general, but you sense that your own confidence or sense of yourself uh, has taken a hit or is not in a good place, and you think that's also an issue that's affecting your job search. Yeah, I do. Um, I I come from a very tough background. I had a dad who was pretty abusive, mm-hmm. uh, emotionally, physically, um, and uh, even to this day, and after 38 years, I still don't think I am worthy of anything. So even when I had a job and I, I felt like every morning, well, you know, these people are going to find out sooner or later that I have nothing to offer. Mm-hmm. And they are going to lay me off. 
and um, or, or fire me. Uh, you know, that's what I thought, and you know, unfortunately, came true. And now, even though I know it's not performance based, and you know, it's a, a fifty thousand employee company, and so they do that. Um, I, you know, directly or, in, or indirectly associated with my capabilities and you know my competency, and I don't know. You know, maybe it has you know strings to the past where I was never given any any importance to. I was always the you know this uh, secondhand citizen at home. Uh, my brother was paid a lot of attention to. He was sent to you know extracurricular activities. I was not really um, the person who would bring you know success to the family and. Even when I got my master's, my dad, uh, my dad told me to send me uh, to send him uh, my my scripts, uh, my transcripts before um, before he actually believes that I got my master's in the U.S. And so I don't know why I keep reviewing these in my head, but somehow I know there is an association between that feeling yeah. and the feeling of not being able to find a job, and and then going back to those emotions. Well, yeah, I mean, I could see how you. On one hand, you're, I don't know why I keep going back to them because they're so uh, painful and, and don't, don't feel good and you know they're not necessarily or they aren't reflective of who you actually are, but uh, we can understand they're very pervasive and you're going to feel them in a very deep way. Even it seems like when you had a job, you felt like you didn't deserve a job, let alone now you don't have a job that's going to even impact you you know, further and what... You were describing initially it sounded like it definitely had imposter syndrome, but it was deeper than that. So imposter syndrome is the feeling that people can have, especially we see it a lot with like, let's say, new students in a graduate program or people who are new to a type of work where they feel like they're not supposed to be there. And even the sense like you were almost saying like, okay, when are they going to find out that I'm not supposed to be here or I have nothing to offer, even though it's not related at all to their competence, it's just the feeling that they have. On a, on a deeper level, or really we can say uh, everyone has um, some level of imposter syndrome or it makes sense. Even I've heard some people say, I, I, I don't like someone if they don't have imposter syndrome because it shows some level of understanding doing something new. So there's some sense of if you're tr doing something new, people have this feeling, well, I'm not a whatever it is, a doctor, a writer, or this, because they haven't done it yet. But that's how everyone who's become good at something had to start from that beginning stage. So um, yeah. But, you know, this doubt that you're talking about, even, you know, this, your father, you're saying just recently he needed the proof of your transcripts to the, to believe that you, um, you know, got your master's. That's That sounds very, very painful, not the reaction you would hope for, obviously, but sharing that he was emotionally and physically abusive on top of what you experienced as a very clear favoritism towards your brother. Unfortunately, it's not surprising that you internalize this. Um, the sense of self that was not very strong or very good or have a, a strong belief in yourself. And what's always uh, interesting, it's very painful, but interesting about these things is when you talk to me, I can get that you get that it's not real. Like it, you shouldn't feel this way about yourself or it's not reflective of reality or else you wouldn't have this conversation. Just we would call me and say, oh, I'm really bad. But you're calling me saying, I have these feelings of feeling really bad, but there's part of me that doesn't think it's true. And it's kind of this battle where you're not, you know, um, 
you can't really feel it deeply enough, especially when things come up. The negative part wins a lot of the time. And so unfortunately, you'll see that negative side of yourself. But clearly, you don't fully believe it. Does that make sense? That is that yeah. is correct. And I don't fully believe it. Good. But I would have to say I would have... I would I owe that you know to mm-hmm. the therapy sessions I've been to. Oh, good. Because at some point in time, maybe two years ago, I thought I'm definitely not worthy of anything. Right now, I would say, well, maybe I'm worthy of some things. Um, uh, I'm still not the person that I want to be, and I would definitely compare myself to everybody around mm. me and would know that they are whatever they are. They're definitely higher or above me, but. Um, it is a little bit of progression, I would say, compared to where I was two years ago. So um, what is actually deteriorating my situation, I would say, is I've been to a few job interviews, um, and they always call me back and say, you're among the top, uh, uh, top two people, that it was a difficult situation and difficult decision, and we decided to go with that other person. Mm -hmm. And that has happened three times. And every time I ask for, you know, feedback, what they tell me is simply that person has had a little bit of more experience in the area that we want, you know, to hire for. Mm -hmm. And this, you know, I don't know what it brings back, but I just feel rejected once again and once again and once again. And I I know there's a lot of people out there who um, are not as competent in, you know, uh, my field and how they do the work, but still, I'm not finding the job, and that hurts. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Of course. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, look, obviously, uh, rejection of any kind is painful, no matter what people have been through or self esteem or, you know, their childhood. It's always going to hurt. There's a sting there. But of course, we can say that the, the sting or the wound goes as deep as the wound has been opened up before. So for you, that wound of, being rejected or even you know maybe when they say we picked someone over you might even bring up even specifically brother type of things of being favored by a specific one um but just overall that feeling of not being enough seems like it gets significantly triggered in those moments and so i can see how that cuts very deep for you because of that and then it can make it scarier to go to that next one I hope you'll, of course, persevere and keep going, but I can get that it might create that feeling. Even now I'm remembering what you said early in our conversation, something like get myself right and then go. And I'm not saying don't do some of that, but there could be the sense that you'll keep avoiding putting yourself back there. So part of me wants to say, I hope you'll keep going, even if you're not feeling totally ready, because there could be the sense that you might not get more ready. You might just keep uh, feeling like, Maybe I can't do it or it's not going to happen for me. Um, you know, we're at a commercial break, but I definitely want to continue our conversation. So we're going to put you on hold. And then after the break, we'll talk a bit more about, you know, what you're going through now. Also wanted to talk a bit about your, you know, child and your husband and how those things also might be related to what you're going through. We can utilize them in, in thinking about what you can do going forward. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. All right. We'll be right back. back before the break we're with the caller let's go back to them now caller are you still there yep all right so um you shared about what you've been going through but really your whole life and you know it could be related to um, childhood experiences physical abuse emotional abuse feeling your brother was favored and clearly it's affected how you 
how you see yourself, feel about yourself, and you know the way our our brains work and make sense of the world that it predicts based on what it's gone through. So if you've gone through all these experiences that you were made to feel less than or low, unfortunately, it creates this very overwhelming prediction that that's the reality or that's how you're going to be viewed in future interactions or even that it'll be better for you to see yourself in that way, even though it was never the reality and it won't help you. But it's very hard to break that wiring that's so deep within us that you've experienced for so long. So logically, you can get that it's not the truth. But as we're saying, emotionally, you still feel it at a deep level. Um, As I mentioned before the break, I wanted to get a sense of family life, how you feel that is and how that's impacted by these things we're talking about. And then I had some thoughts of uh, looking at your, I think you said son, if I'm not mistaken, I think you said, yeah, yeah. and how that might be something we can bring into the, the, the situation. So tell me a bit about the family life, how you see that going, you're bringing up work before. Yeah, so, uh, but, you know, with my son, it's never been um, a very uh, simple parenting. He has always been a very difficult child uh, from the very young ages. You know, he was very hard-headed, you know, very um, very difficult for for eating habits, sleeping habits, anything like that. When he was about five years old, I um, we got him tested. We used to in California back then, and there was a really good center that I went to, and they said he was in on the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. But he didn't tell me where on the autism spectrum, and... He actually does, if based on, you know, my very little knowledge of autism and that, you know, people, uh, you know, those kids wouldn't look you in the eye or they don't talk. He talks a lot. He he looks you in the eye. He's just um, too active and um, uh, too difficult. So um, we had some behavioral therapy sessions for him and then we got him tested elsewhere um, after that because we moved to a different state and they told me that he just needs behavioral and emotional regulation. And we've been just working with him a lot on, um, uh, you know, taking him to play therapy if we find appointments, of course, occupational therapy. He's stuttering these days, so we're taking him to speech therapy as well. But he's also being seen by um, a psychiatrist and he's taking medication. And I want to say that uh, he's in second grade now, uh, sorry, two weeks ago. He's doing a lot better, but everything with him is still a challenge. Mm-hmm. So I question my parenting a lot too. Um, and that is one of the other things that I compare myself with other people uh, because I keep telling myself, and I actually say it out loud, I say, what did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. That when I tell him it's time to go to sleep, he resists it. What did I do wrong that when we have, you know, a special dish on a particular day that he throws it? And thankfully, he's not doing a lot of those things anymore, but I've been questioning myself around that too. Hmm. Um, so on the parenting side, that is one of the components that is very much bothering me because he was always a difficult child, and that's why I never wanted to have another child. And as soon as I decided to have a child, and even with the guilt of the big difference of seven years between the two child, uh, I um, had a miscarriage. Mm. And now I am trying to get pregnant, but then I have the guilt of uh, the age difference, which is bothering me a lot. And 
I'm just trying to resist it and just tell myself that I feel like I need another child. I feel like I have enough love and, you know, um, a, f- a framework set up for, for a new human being, and I deserve that. But at the same time, I am very hard on myself mm-hmm. on the past. Well, yeah, and, and the way you said you deserve that, of course, I'm, you know, there's a sense of I deserve to be a parent or a mom, but... Um, at the end of the day, obviously a relationship we create that it's very one-sided where we're giving and not really, you get a fulfillment from it, but a lot of, uh, you know, the effort and energy is all very much one-sided. Um, you know, when you mentioned your son and that feeling of what did I do wrong? Uh, I, it was very painful to hear that because I could understand it based on what you were describing and, and really parents in general often will feel this just trying to understand you know, what did I do? Or, you know, what, why is my child doing these things? Or we see other children might not do those things. And, you know, you said he was difficult from a very young age, which tells us it was something about him. Every child is unique. Some things that come easier to some children don't to others. And sometimes some children, many things or most things might come a bit more difficult to them. And so maybe your your son is that way. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things I was thinking of before we even brought, you know, talked about him more specifically was just this way that uh, parenting brings up, you know, first relationships bring up our stuff, our, our own past, you know, pains, traumas, emotional issues that some of them we knew, but we also some of them will be new, new to us, but also in a large degree. But parenting does that even in a greater extent, um, brings up our own stuff, especially from our own childhood. And so I'm sure your son will bring up a lot of stuff for you. I'm sure at some level, not wanting him to experience at all what you felt as a child, um, but then inevitably what you went through will impact you as a parent too, just because it, it has to, it has to be there in in some ways. And so I really would not want the message for him to hear it. I know you say sometimes you even say it out loud, Yeah. really for yeah. him to, because what, what, you know, what I see parents sometimes will happen is if their kid is doing something they don't like or they don't think is good, and then if they think that reflects on them, then in turn they make the child feel bad for you know basically making us feel bad you know you make me feel like a bad mom or dad so stop doing this thing when you know sometimes it's not in their control or it's not really that simple so unfortunately then it you know comes back on them so if you can work on that that guilt part of realizing that if he's going through something it's not a reflection of you being a bad mom or that you did something that's created some very specific result in what he's doing or not doing it actually would then be better for him because then he won't feel like he's bad being the way he is. You know, it's okay. It's It can be frustrating. It's challenging, but we don't want to make him feel ashamed or feel bad about, you know, things that are just challenging for him. It, it, you know, the example I sometimes use is you walk into a room and if your child is cold, they're not trying to be cold or warm. We can't control that. That's just how their body is responding to it. And so it seems like with your son, there's a lot of things that are just tough for him. Just that's how his brain body responds to the situation so yeah i hope that guilt the more you reduce it the more it'll also reduce that guilt that you might spill over to him to not be a certain way yeah you know one of the things that is actually very directly related to this is uh, me and my husband not being on the same page on the parenting stuff Mm. for the most part in the past seven years and we've tried to get closer to each other as much as possible but inevitably whenever you know i have told him to it's 8 30 he needs to go to bed and you know just trying to encourage him uh uh by you know uh, giving him prizes every every other night or other methodologies then 
my husband has brought up several times that, look, you're just doing what your dad did. And, and a lot of the examples can be actually what my dad did. And I'm not saying that, you know, the apple falls a lot far from the tree. It doesn't. Um, so in what way though, uh, maybe I missed something there. In what ways are you doing something like your father there? You know, it's, well, it's very different actually from the way that my father used to do things. My, my father would tell me it's like nine o'clock, go to bed. And even if we turned around, um, and, took a peek at the TV, he would beat us. Mm. I'm not doing that with my son. I'm saying it's 8.30. If you don't want to go to bed, it's okay. But tomorrow when you come home, you can't watch TV. And that's how the people around me would translate that into copying my dad's behavior and now applying it to my son, which I don't think is the same way. But I have heard that a lot in the past seven years that, see, he did that to you, you're doing it to him. So it's different, but every other people, the people who have not experienced it, um, uh, the, who were not the real me when I was a kid, mm-hmm. would see it the same. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely not the same. Definitely not. I mean, you know, you're saying just a moment of um, not obeying the rule lead to a physical beating is different from consequences and not taking a certain action. Um, that's not the same thing, even if both of them might feel, okay, they're both a, a quote, like a punishment of sorts. It's not the same. Um, of course, it also is important that when we make consequences, I always think whatever the age is, the child is involved in that process so, and it's clear beforehand, you know, what those things are and how it's going to play out. So it's not a surprise or something we make up on the spot. Um, so it's not the same. The only thing I would, you know, want you to look at, and it's not that because of what you shared is, do you ever feel that anger come up? I mean, maybe I should walk that back a bit because, of course, you're going to feel angry as a human being and as a parent. We get angry with, with our children. That's not something that's not going to come up. But I guess that the other side of it is looking at not in this specific instance, but being mindful of the fact that that anger might seep in in certain ways and how you might respond to your child, just being aware of that. Now, some people go the other extreme where they might not set any boundaries because if they were punished so harshly, they never want their child to feel that and they go to an unhealthy degree the other way. Um, So I don't know when you're, you know, you say your husband brings that up. Is it just completely unfair and unfounded or does he feel anger or something in how you're saying it that he's also pointing out? Well, he, the, the way he sees it is that he says, I see you are exploding from inside. Hmm. You don't reflect it from in, in the outside, but we actually can feel it. Mm-hmm. And he feels he, he, he says that. He says if if you were like your dad, you would definitely be, you know, doing a lot of physical, you know, uh, beating and punching and everything. But now you're doing it to yourself. And um in, in some aspects you're destroying yourself because you don't want to destroy the child. Well, that makes sense. In a way it does. I mean, I want you to tell me, of course, what you experience. And now those are still not the same thing. So if someone says this person got so angry, he beat up this other person. It's not the same as the person got so angry. It looked like they could beat up the other person, but they didn't. That's the whole thing is that, you know, just because we feel something, if we don't act on it, that doesn't mean it's the same as someone who acts on that feeling and, you know, and takes it out to the extreme. So, it's definitely still, again, not the same. Now, maybe he's saying it seems like you're getting 
as angry or you know more angry than he thinks is good or I don't know how he's saying you're taking it out on yourself from the inside but what do you think he means by that or do you feel that yourself what he's describing you know I I do take a lot of it inside and um, because every time my child misbehaves I tell myself at the same moment that I did something wrong and definitely it will reflect in my face and you know how how I behave mm-hmm. I rarely, very rarely yell at my son, Mm -hmm. but it has happened during the past seven years where I have yelled, you know, maybe ten times overall. Okay. But I think the the component that my husband relies a lot onto is the difference between our styles. Mm -hmm. He tells me, what if he eats three ice creams a night? It didn't kill us when we were kids to do that. It's not going to kill him. And it's going to take away a lot of the tension in the house. And maybe just telling him yes um, is going to, you know, is going to make our life a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. And I don't see it that way. I I value discipline. And yes, it's um, my dad uh, disciplined us a little bit. You know, he had a he had rules in the house, but I, I know a lot of the things that he did was wrong, but not telling us to go to bed uh, and uh, telling us to go to bed at nine wasn't wrong. The way that he implemented it was wrong. And this is just so hard for me to explain to yeah. people that, yes, my dad was a horrible person and I it's hard for me to forgive him, but it doesn't mean that the things that he did uh, or, or the idea, some of the ideas that he had were wrong. Right. I mean, yeah, it's it is complicated because it's definitely not black and white. Of course, we need boundaries and rules. And then we also need flexibility. And it's uh, it's a gray area of when, you know, is it important to maintain the boundary and the rule? And when is it okay to have some wiggle room and flexibility within that? And then even how much, you know, how many rules or what kind of rules we have, what's considered strict or too much or too little. And as you mentioned earlier, you and your husband seem to have different perspectives on these things so what you do he's going to take as being too much or too harsh whereas it's not clear if that's the case or if he from your perspective is too lenient or not setting those boundaries um but you know and and we're at another commercial break i do want to continue so we don't wrap up just abruptly like this but uh that that theme again is coming up of you know if he misbehaves it reflects on you in some way and that pressure is really it's going to crush you and him and so that part, I think, is really important outside of this, you know, should there be rules or not and boundaries or not or what kinds of rules and boundaries. That does seem to be a big theme that um, inevitably will really have a big impact on you and him. So let's let's go to a commercial break. I definitely want to touch on that and also uh, some more of these issues related to parenting. And we'll see. Hopefully, if we have time, it will, will be the last segment. Um, bringing it back to work since that's how we started the conversation. Okay, so we'll put you on hold. And we'll talk okay, after the break. Thank you. All right, we'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we're with a caller. Let's go back then now. Caller, are you still there? Yep, and I actually wanted to add something. Sure. Um, what, last year, um, the difference in our parenting style was so big, and I felt like a huge gap, and that's when I told my husband I didn't want to live with him anymore and I took my child and again I've done some you know wrong things 
but I took my child, we went to another state. We didn't tell, tell my child that, you know, we were actually being separated. We just told him it was, you know, job related and it was five and a half. So it was, I don't think he really understood it, but I took a six months break and then I decided that I just very simply identify myself with my husband and I cannot live without him. I um, went out on a few dates. I realized that, you know, the, the jokes that we make, the shows that we watch, the, the topics we talk about, these things I cannot find with any, any other person. So we came back and we've had a, you know, um, I, I see much better engagement and willingness to um, to walk towards me and I walk towards him hmm. uh, to meet somewhere in the parenting world. Okay. So, uh, yeah, that does um, obviously show how severe it had gotten that it got to that point. And was that the main issue that led to that separation? Um, 75% of it, yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, of course, we call it parenting and it is about parenting, but it can impact how you know, our partner makes us feel or we can feel about each other at a deeper way. Because I think it was when it's brought up in the way of, oh, you're being like your father and, and the way you described what you experienced with your father, of course, that's going to be a very personal, feel like a personal attack or a personal um, way of describing you that's not going to feel good. So I'm glad you're saying it's been better. I don't know if it, you've worked on it in certain ways. It does seem like you're not going to see, you know, we talk about being on the same page. You won't be ever on the same exact line, probably on the same page, but if you can be close enough, then things can function at a level that's, you know, okay, but you probably will never see things exactly the same way. And you're going to both have to accept that. And I hope accept that neither one of you has, of course, bad intentions or wants bad for your kid or is doing something to harm your child. You're both doing what you think is the absolute best for your child or else you wouldn't be doing it. So um, hopefully there could be that sense of respect and understanding from both sides. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, the um, the main challenge I would say these days is that he, uh, we want to relocate. Uh, mm -hmm. We are in a very cold state and he's trying to find a job. His job is really good here, but we need to go to a warmer state. Um, his job is, um, he, he, he doesn't seem to be able to find a job. Uh, I don't seem to be able to find a job. We are, you know, very frustrated at this point. Mm -hmm. um, our kid doesn't like this state and he whines about the, you know, the thunderstorms and, you know, uh, why is it going to rain? Why is the cloud this color? You know, concerns that be that come from his anxiety. And then at the same time, I cannot forgive myself for the miscarriage. So I know it's all of, hmm. there's a lot of components, it's all interlocked there, and, but I don't know what to address. I wish, I wish I could identify one or two issues and say, okay, at this point, these are the two that you need to focus on and get better at. And then the other one will start getting resolved. When you, yeah, it seems like, as you said, there's almost too many things or to even focus on a few. You mentioned you blame yourself for the miscarriage. What? Why do you blame yourself for that? Well, you know, I, um, a, a doctor never told me why I had a miscarriage. Um, I know people who have subchronic hematoma, and you know, they tell them this is the reason why you should have a bed rest. And I did not have a bed rest. 
and I actually went outside of the country because the doctor told me there's no risk of going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I came back um, to the U.S. and a week after that, I had the miscarriage. And somehow I feel like that trip might have had something to do with it. I've talked to five specialties. I've driven, you know, two hour um, to to talk to new specialists and just ask them if that has been really the cause. Nobody, of course, can give me a definite answer, but they told me if they didn't see a subchronic hematoma and they if they did not advise you to have bed rest, then you did nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's kind of hard, you know, it's I, I, it's kind of hard even to explain. Well, I mean, you did a lot. I'm sure there's, you know, when you say that, there's even more to it than just that. Um, well, one, I know, of course, I can't speak about it personally, but understanding that the, as a woman, there could be the sense that I should create this environment for my, you know, unborn child, or, you know, there's a physical, literal physical connection there that it, it can feel very personal because it's physically your body. So I know that often women can have that experience where they feel a strong responsibility for what happens um, with the pregnancy, even if there's no clear indication that they had any control over it or did anything. So I know that does come about to begin with. And also how you've described your yourself, there is a tendency to feel you know, personal about things not going wrong or making mistakes. Even you're saying right now with your son, if he doesn't do something, you feel like, what did I do wrong? You feel responsible for it. So unfortunately, it does seem that you also can have a tendency to take on more responsibility for when things go wrong and personalize that. And and going back to what we were saying in in childhood, you were made to feel that you were bad or something was not right about you. So unfortunately, it does seem like you can go there um, easily. You go to that place that it's my fault or I should have done something to prevent this from from happening. So yeah, I, and I, I you know you, you said there's more to it. So I'm sure it's even more complex than what you were. Um, you shared so far, but yeah, that's uh, that that sense of guilt and blame. Um, we do see how much it's hurting you, and as I was saying, when it comes to your son, it also is going to be hurting him. And I hope you you know recognize that when he has the pressure that he has to do something right or not break the rule or do something because it's going to make mommy feel bad, even if you try not to show him that, he's going to feel that more and more and then on top of that your husband might make you feel bad and that's making it even worse so clearly those issues about you and him with the parenting it's going to cut very deep for you and so i could see why it was important to try to get closer to the same page with him um but this situation you're you're finding yourself in do you now feel that you and your husband repaired what was damaged at a level enough to feel a connection that you feel like you're going through all this together how how do you feel the marriage has recovered from the separation? I think it has um, mended tremendously, or we have actually tried to mend it, um, uh, you know, collectively. I um, I feel like he's listening more to me now than he used to, mm-hmm. uh, uh, especially when it comes to the things that it's about our son. He seems to be willing to be more aligned on some of the rules we have around the house. Um, and uh, I, I would say that at the, at the um, you know, relationship level, mm-hmm. you're actually doing great. Um, and uh, I'm really happy that I came mm. back. Um, but um, um, I guess when difficulties like the job or the miscarriage, those kind of things come up, then I tend to 
you know, lose hope and be on my sadder side. When we first got married 16 years ago, I was a very angry person. Um, and right now, I'm not angry. I take medication. I go um, to therapy, but I get sad. And that anger and, you know, throwing things and sometimes, you know, punching him even 16 years ago back home um, has now transformed into just wanting to die and wanting I wasn't and hoping I wasn't here and wishing I was a better person or a more beautiful person or a more competent person. So that anger um, has translated to something different, uh, which is less harmful to the world, but it's still there. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously it seems like it's not that it's still harming you in that way. Are, are you still feeling that way about not wanting to be here? Well, you know, at times I, um, especially when I see people having two kids and the perfect age difference and, you know, I, I, I tell myself, well, you know, even if you weren't part of this world, nothing special would happen. Mm. People are, you know, there are a lot of good people, a lot of uh, very functional marriages and parenting out there and you add no you're not worthy so not that i think about not wanting to leave but you know living or not living wouldn't make a difference to me okay yeah and that's um obviously still concerning um, that feeling of your own life not having that much value to yourself and then also you, you you think to others which is not true and we can see that sadly you were given that message since you were very little, even though it was not true then, and it's not true now. I'm sure your your son and your husband would value you greatly, much more than you can realize in those moments when you're feeling that way um, and would be devastated if anything were to happen to you. I'm looking at the time I wish I had more because of how you know significant what you just brought up was. Um, but just the sense that when you look at other people's life and the way you almost described it as perfect, like they've done it the right way, uh, you know, we could see how hard you are on yourself. And, and going back to what I was saying with your son, that if he doesn't follow a rule, does something wrong, it's like a reflection of your badness when it's not any of that. It's just life is hard. Life is challenging. Being a parent is incredibly difficult. And, and you know, kids are always, whoever, whatever's going on, having a hard time doing things, it seems like your son might have some challenges that make you know some things even more difficult but not because of you or being a bad parent but it's much more about just him and every child is unique and so that yeah. that how hard you you know that punitiveness on yourself i could see then if your husband was then making you feel bad you know those those hits are going to hit even deeper for you um unfortunately so i'm glad you're going to therapy and getting help uh and, and continuing to look at these things there the wiring is so deep that it takes a long time. It changes a bit. It seems like you're saying it has, but it doesn't mean it's still, you know, everything feels okay. But just realize that a lot of these thoughts that you have, they're coming from that part of you that's hurt. It's kind of the broken part that got hurt so much that we'll see things in this way, but they're not true. Just like you are valuable as a employee and at the level that you are at in your career, you're also valuable as a wife and a, a mother in ways that are you're going to undervalue yourself, unfortunately, but hopefully you can remember that when those thoughts come up. As I mentioned, I wish we could talk some more because of what you just brought up there at the end. We are at the end of, of the time for today. I hope you'll call back another time, but either way, wish you the best 
um, with those things you are are dealing with. And please, yeah, remember that that judgment of yourself that was made a long time ago was never true. And it might take a lifetime to unlearn it, but you can do it. And I I wish you the best in that. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank you for calling. Take care. You too. All right. That brings us to the end of tonight's show. Big thank you to Fairwood here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fairwood Lokwi Zan Zendigi Azadi.